0: So, today, we're looking at outrageous worship again. We're looking at it from the book of Psalms. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 16. I'm telling you that now to give you time to, to look that up. And for once, I've actually got PowerPoint slides. No, no expense, Well, I was going to say no expense spared, no expense spent, actually. Um, but I have some slides, but the words to the psalm aren't coming up. Because it's a nightmare trying to fit loads and loads of text on them. And that was just far too much hassle last night as I was doing that. So you've got some bits and pieces up there um, which hopefully will be helpful. Now, the book of Psalms, amazing. Poetry, songs, comment on life. It's incredibly relevant for today. And um, it's been amazing going through the book of Psalms or going through some of the Psalms. I think if we tried to go through all of them, we'd be here for a long, long time. And there's all sorts of different psalms. And today we're looking at one in particular, Psalm 16. Now, I've noticed um, just generally amongst people, um, particularly in church, that we, maybe in life, actually, thinking about it, we have a propensity to look at the bad things in life. When things are going wrong, they fill our focus. When things aren't going well, we tend to forget that there are also things that are good. And we focus on the things that aren't going well. And all too often, we sort of lurch from one crisis to the next and forget about all of the good things that we've got. And often, in church, we address these things, and that's right, it's good. We preach into those difficult times. Um, You'll find sometimes when people come up during worship and bring a word, it's about people who are struggling, that God wants to lift. Fantastic. That is what we need to hear. But we also need, every now and then, just to lift our heads, look up and count our blessings. We need to look up and see all the good that is around us, all the things that are going well, all the blessings that are around us, and not just all the, th- God, all the good things that God has done, but the good thing that God is, that he is good. We don't just worship God because we need some help, because we've got nowhere else to turn, and he becomes our last resort. We need to worship God when times are good. Yeah. And so if you saw the title that I put up, um, we need to worship God when everything is tickety-boo. I have to give my wife credit for that phrase. I didn't even consider that phrase. Um, But when everything's good, we still need to worship. We still need to be worshipping God in thankfulness. So outrageous worship when everything is tickety-boo. Or as I wanted to call it, reasons to be cheerful. (laughs) Part three, if you know the song. Uh, Ian Jury and the Blockheads from 1979. Some of you are old enough to know that. Others have no idea who I'm talking about right now. But there we go. Reasons to be cheerful. Outrageous worship when all is just ticking along perfectly. So, Psalm 16. We'll get to it. We'll get to it now. Let me read it. You can follow it along if you want in your Bibles if you've got them with you. Psalm 16. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Now, it would be obvious to speak on the last verse there, but I spoke on that a few weeks ago. And so I'm not going to focus on that verse today, but we'll get to that in a moment. So a couple of weeks ago, Simon spoke and he talked about the importance of context. What is the context of this psalm? Who wrote it and what were they going through when they wrote it? The problem we have with this psalm is we have no idea where this fits in David's life. We don't know the context of this psalm. We can't can't see that. Now, we can see that he'd gone through a crisis of some sort. Verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So we know something had happened, but we don't know whether David was going through it then, whether he'd gone through it, and which part of his life this fits into. Now, in the first few lines, again, um, Simon pointed this out a few weeks ago, there's a few lines at the beginning of that psalm which are part of it. You will not abandon my soul, a miktam of David. Now, not only do we not know the context, but... People aren't entirely sure what Miktam means, but it's thought that, and I read this, you know, I I don't research these things, but others do, thankfully, that Miktam was probably an inscriptional poem. So it could have been that this psalm was written on some sort of monument, or uh, some kind of, yeah, monument or something like that, that stood there to celebrate God bringing. Them out of a crisis, bringing David out of a crisis. It's not a hundred percent clear, but that's what is its thought. And this psalm is known as a psalm of confidence, because as you read it, you can see that David has a huge confidence in God, in what He's done and what He will do. Now it does say a miktam of David, and I'm saying David. It only says David in that bit. It doesn't say David anywhere else, but I think it's fairly uh, well accepted that this is probably David writing this. So that's the context, or lack of it. What about the structure of the psalm? You can see on the slide there is a structure to this. Now, when it comes to looking at the structure of psalms, don't think that you have to go to a commentary or some form of scholarship to understand the structure. Some of them we do because some of them are Hebrew poems of different sorts and different kinds of literature like that. But actually sometimes you read the psalm and it obviously falls into some sections. And it's okay to do that if that's what helps you interpret the psalm. You don't have to go into huge depth to find a structure. So I've just looked at it this way. In three parts, The first couple of verses, which provide a great introduction, then you've got verse 3 and 4, where there's a compare and contrast between the holy ones and the not holy ones. And then 5 to 11, where we get to the song of confidence. So, we're going to work through this. We're not going to do every verse, because there's far too much in it to do all of it. So, as I've already mentioned, at the beginning, there's obviously been some sort of suffering at some point, In the past, or just come out of, because the psalmist says that he's needed to take refuge in God. He then says, This verse 2 I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. And this is really key to setting up the psalm. Now, I hadn't really thought about speaking on this bit very much until I was driving home from work, probably. Thursday or Wednesday this week and I was listening to some music in the car and a song came on um, and it just struck me the words from this song and this psalm put together I'll read you the song I'm not going to sing it to you I know you're disappointed I know but just for once I won't not ever um, But let me read this song, the words to this song, to you. And hopefully this doesn't violate any copyright on the live stream. But we'll see. They'll soon tell us if it does. I don't like to admit when I'm wrong and need gifts of forgiveness instead of applause. I was dying to prove to myself I could make it alone. It took years to confess that your love was the best at unravelling all of my pride. Had to laugh at myself when I realised that you were my home. Give me the strength to let go. Give me the strength to surrender. Give me the strength to stop holding on. I've been holding on so long. Give me the strength to let go and show me the way to come home. Yeah, I'm stubborn and bold, but sometimes it gets old, fighting voices inside of my brain. I was trying to pretend I was fine when inside it was war. With the stumbling beat of my heart and my feet and the faults of my failure and pain, to think all of this time, I had wings that were ready to soar. Give me the strength to let go. Give me the strength to surrender. And as I looked at that, and for those of you who don't know, you should know, you should be listening to this band. They're amazing. This is Switchfoot um, from their latest album, Native Tongue. Um, awesome album, just so you know. Um, listen to it, it's fantastic. That actually, when the psalmist says in verse 2, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you, he's in a place of surrender. This psalm starts with surrender. It's so important when we come to worship God that we come from a place of surrender. This is not about letting go our minds and, and all of that kind of nonsense. This is just about not coming to God with all the stuff that you've got, with all your achievements, with all your ambitions. It's actually coming to God and saying, God, everything I've got that's good and I've got lots that's good comes from you. Everything, everything that's good in my life is from God. And we come in a place
1: of surrender.
0: When things are going well in our lives, I think we often forget that place of surrender. It can be actually easier to surrender to God when you're going through a difficult time because actually you've got nowhere else to turn than when we're going through good times. When life's good, when you're ticking along, when everything you think, wow, this is amazing. We then tend to just rely on those things and not come to God in surrender. And actually we can coast in the enjoyment of it all, instead of saying, God, all this is from you. And then being prepared to lay it all down at his feet and say, God, this is all from you, and it's all for you, and I still surrender to you. That is outrageous worship. The world we live in doesn't operate like that. The world we live in wants this mountaintop experience all of the time and says, I am going to get it. I am going to achieve it. Look at what I've got. Look at what I've done. Whereas we go, no, everything good that I've got is from God. And I surrender to him. That is where we come from. That is the place we need to be. Our strength comes from a place of surrender. Our worship comes out of a place of surrender. It's saying, thank you, God, for what I've got. Thank you for all you've done. And then we use that to help us to magnify God. To say, wow, this is brilliant. And it might be that you've just achieved something really great. And you say, God, it's only because of what you've done. It's only because of what you've done.
1: We magnify God
0: in his goodness. And we worship the giver of all this goodness. And that's where... This psalm starts in that place of surrender. And then it moves on to verses 3 and 4, where there's a little bit of compare and contrast here by David. And uh, he talks about the saints, those who, and then those who run after other gods. You see, we come to worship God, but we don't do it on our own. There's a corporate aspect to this. The saints. There are others like David who are saints, and he delights in them. That's what it says in verse verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David delights in those around him who are also surrendered to God. And he doesn't just quite like them. He delights in them. It's a joy for him to be with the saints, those who are true to God. We're not worshippers alone. We have one another. We have a worldwide church, but we have our local church. You have each other, and as we come to worship, we worship together. We are the church. We surrender to God, and we worship him together, which brings a presence of God that, Actually, we don't always or often experience on our own. We need one another in worship. We need one another in outrageous worship. We can't do it alone. David sees this. We stand together to worship God. We stand in his presence. And we say together, everything good that we've got is from God. And God, we surrender it to you. And in that, in that vulnerability together, comes an incredible time in the presence of God. There's no room for pride when together we're laying it all down before God. But there's in that vulnerability, there's a place of great safety because actually, as people are vulnerable in worship to God, others in the room look and say, that's a good thing. And it inspires them to be the same and it has a cumulative effect. There's a place of safety here where we worship God vulnerably and outrageously together. That's one of the reasons why when people who don't know God come on a Sunday and stand with us in worship, that's why they're so affected. Yes, it's the presence of God, but it's seeing people who are so safe to be so vulnerable together to lay it all on the line for God. That can't help but affect people because it's so different. of this series we've also been uh, looking at a prophetic word that was brought by Julian Adams a number of years ago which is where the title Outrageous Worship came from. Let me just read to you a part of it. And so Jubilee Church I want you to understand today says the Lord that you will usher in my reign in the context of outrageous worship that will mark this church in this season. What will shift the atmosphere in this season, what will replace spiritual strongholds will come from a place of outrageous worship. So get ready, for I'm redefining you. For the place that you dwell in the spirit is too small. I'm taking you to a much larger space. I'm taking you to a much larger place. And even as the prophets built along the River Jordan, the place of promise, even so I'm calling you to build with the promises I have spoken over you. For now is the season fulfilment. This prophetic word talks about strongholds being broken down in the context of outrageous worship. How does that happen? Well, when people come together in surrender to God, when it becomes more about God than it does about ourselves, it changes our thinking. Strongholds are a pattern, just a pattern of behaviour and thinking that we can get into that needs to change, actually if those are going to shift, then we need to come in surrender to God. Even when things are going well, when things are good, actually we still have these strongholds sometimes that need to shift and those shift in times of surrender to God in outrageous worship. That's what Julian was saying was going to happen at Jubilee Church. And we can't do that alone. We have to do that together in the context of our gatherings together as we surrender together to God who's given us everything. We lay everything down and it shifts the atmosphere. It changes something. And actually, that prophetic word says strongholds will be replaced, the atmosphere will shift and we will usher in the reign of the kingdom of God as we come in surrender to god as it becomes more about god than it does become about than it is about us we see things change and you will it's amazing how attractive that is to people who are tired of the world tired of the world's kingdom and its reign and its politics and its fighting and its rat race and its trying to get ahead and all of that nonsense that goes on. The kingdom of God, as we usher it in, as we surrender to God, is incredibly attractive. And it doesn't just shift the atmosphere here, but as I spoke a few weeks ago, it shifts the atmosphere in our workplaces, in our schools, colleges, universities, everywhere we go. The atmosphere is shifted by a people who are surrendered to God. It's what changes things. It changes things. And um, David in this psalm compares these saints with those who are not. And when Joe spoke recently in this series, he talked about and he spoke from a psalm where he said, everyone else seems to prosper except us. Well, actually, David addresses this in this psalm where he actually calls out the fact that while it looks like they are, in the end, they won't. Because in verse 4, it says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their sorrows will multiply. He said, and I'm not going that way. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So actually, he compares there, he compares the total difference between those who are saints and those who are not. And actually, the conclusion Joe came to, the conclusion it comes to in this psalm, the conclusion we come to is actually, no, we're going the right way here. Our surrender to God, while sometimes looks counterintuitive, while sometimes it can look like we're not doing as well compared to people outside the church, actually, we're doing really well because we've got God. We're part of his family. And then we move on in the psalm to verses 5 to 11. And I can't, I can't speak on all of these verses. Um, but this is the song of confidence. This is a confidence in the goodness of God. Confidence in the outcome of every part of life. The verse that just particularly stuck with me that I wanted to focus on today from this section is verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Things are going well for David at this point. You know, we look at David's life and just so often he seems to have things that are just not going that well. Often of his own making. But here, he's worshipping God when all is good. He's got reasons to be cheerful. It's all tickety-boo. It's hunky-dory. It's whatever other phrase you want to use for that. What does he mean by this verse, though? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. These lines are a picture of a boundary. When the um, 12 tribes of Israel came to the promised land, they divided up that land between them. And they had boundaries that defined what was theirs. And those boundaries fell in certain places. And some of those fell in very pleasant places that gave them good land. And they were happy with it. They were happy with where mostly the, where the boundaries fell. But it wasn't just about the land. It was about where those lines fell. It was about the promise of God. Those boundaries fell for them, defining their part of the promise of God. This was how they, de- they, they, they divided up the land. And it was the promise of God that was saying, this is your part of the promise of God. Those boundaries have fallen in pleasant places because they've given you part of the promise. It was an inheritance. When David uses this phrase, he's saying, my life is good. The boundaries that define my life, the boundaries that fall around me, have fallen in pleasant places. They're good places. My life is good. What God has done for me is good. I'm happy with the way things are, and I have a beautiful inheritance. And then for the rest of the verses of the chapter, he just praises God because things are going well. Instead of So what he doesn't do, he doesn't doesn't say, wow, things are good. I finally got it right. He says, things are good. God is good to me. Straight away, he gives God glory for it, which is a great lesson for us. And, you know, after a number of years for me of preaching about hard times and suffering and all this kind of stuff, actually, there comes a point where God says, enough's enough. I can honestly say that the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. Life is good. Life is very, very good.
1: It's not a denial
0: of things going wrong. It's not a denial of tough times. And there are still days where you think, oh, man, that was rubbish. That was a hard day. Something went wrong. But actually, they're trivial compared to when God lifts your face and says, it's time to look up. It's time to look at what I've done for you. Look at where I've brought you. Look at what I've done for you. Look at what I've given you. How good is that?
1: It's tremendous.
0: Life's good. I've got lots of good things. I've got a fantastic wife. I've got four fantastic children. I've got a great son-in-law. I've got a beautiful grandson. Life's great. Life's brilliant. But nothing I have that is good has come from anywhere other than God. It's all come from God, and all those things should turn my eyes to him and say, God, it's you. I worship you. I don't look at what I've got and think, wow, aren't I amazing? I'm quite good, but I'm not amazing. Actually, I look to God and say, God, you have done so much. You have given me so much. Not only that, but as David looked around at the saints in whom he delights, I can look around at Jubilee and go, I'm in an amazing church with amazing people. People I love, people I want to know more. People I want to spend more time with. Wow, the richness of of God. This is the richness of God here. God has put us together for a purpose, to worship him, to usher in his kingdom, to see lives changed. The saints in whom I delight, is what David said. And I'm privileged to be able to say the same thing.
1: It's not just... For me, though, and for you on our own. You see, I think we
0: can apply this verse corporately too. I don't think i put it up on there. But actually, when you look at verse 6, the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Indeed, we have a beautiful inheritance. Actually, for Jubilee Church, the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. We have been going through just an incredible time of knowing the glory of God, of being in his presence together. And it's an amazing thing. And we can celebrate that together, that God is doing an amazing thing with us. The lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. We've got an inheritance. We've got one and we've got more to come. It's amazing. What a fantastic time to be part of Jubilee Church. I am so grateful to be part of Jubilee Church. All the tough times that brought me here, I would definitely go through them again so I can be here.
1: I would choose them so I could be here. Because
0: this is a pleasant place. It's funny, isn't it? It's a funny word to use, pleasant. I think sometimes in our language, it's pleasant. can actually feel a bit weak uh, as a word. But actually, to me, what it conjures up is just
1: feet up, lying back, sun
0: shining, nice Scottish lock in front of me, and mountains all around. It's a pleasant place. Actually, what it conjures up is a... I th- for me, the word pleasant is, is that its not a weak word, but it's a rich word. It's a full word. Actually, it's about not striving. It's about not working hard. It's about being just given something. We don't have to work hard for these boundaries to fall in pleasant places. God is doing it and has done it. We just need to look up and see what he's done.
1: And guess what?
0: I don't believe those boundaries for Jubilee Church are fixed. I think they're moving and they're expanding and they're getting bigger and God is expanding our borders. He's doing more with us. He's getting us ready for more. He's saying, look how good this is. This is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. That's what that prophetic word is all about. There's going to be more. More of the presence of God. More prophetic words, more gifting, more people. God has got more people for us in this place. There's going to come a point where even in summer, we can't fit people in because God is moving the boundaries of the church. He's expanding us. But part of the key to that is us being surrendered to God and worshipping him outrageously when things are good, when things are bad, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what people say, no matter what our life is like, whether it's good or not, actually worshipping God like that, no matter what, is outrageous. And that is what God wants us to do and that, we believe, is the key to seeing what God wants next and what God is going to do
1: next. So while
0: my picture of Sitting back on the shores of a loch, looking at the mountains. Actually, I'd rather be on top of the mountains, but this is not about us just sitting back and becoming complacent just because God's done some good things. I think that's the other danger. When, when things are good, when things are going well, we can get a little complacent so I can sit back and coast now. Actually, God wants us to push into more. God wants us to press into what he's got. And actually say, wow, this is good. But it can
1: still be even better. And in this psalm, David talks about, find the verse. Indeed,
0: I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you know, I think we often think about our inheritance as something we're going to get one day as something that comes at the end of all time when God wraps everything up and comes again. That's when we'll get the fullness of our inheritance but actually our inheritance starts now. We're seated in heavenly places. We belong to Jesus. We're part of his family. He's with us now. Our inheritance starts now. It's a beautiful inheritance
1: It's your salvation. It's your being in God's family. You've got it now. That inheritance, enjoy it. Make the most of it. But actually, there's more of it to come. Because while it's good now, it's going to get better.
0: Even better. So how do we draw all this together and bring it to an end so we can all have coffee? (laughs)
1: Firstly, let's
0: enjoy the pleasant places. Enjoy them. There is nothing wrong with enjoying them. I think sometimes because there is opposition in the Christian life, there is persecution, there is struggle, and it's part of what defines us as a people that we accept it and we know it's part of it. But actually, enjoy the good times as well. Enjoy the pleasant places. Worship God
1: for the pleasant places. Enjoy them.
0: Make the most of them. Worship God and praise him for them. When life is good, revel in it. And don't feel guilty about it. Because sometimes we can do that. We can see what other people are going through and think, oh, better not celebrate too much. No, celebrate the good times. It's good to do and right to do.
1: But don't forget God in the good times. Don't forget they are from Him. And I think the other thing to learn
0: from this is about breaking strongholds. That actually God gives us the good times to change our thinking, to allow His goodness to change the way we think, to break down those strongholds, to enjoy those pleasant places. Acknowledge the good. Because actually what acknowledging the good does is breaks the pattern of thinking only about the struggle. I said at the beginning, sometimes I think we get so preoccupied with what's not right that we forget to lift our heads to what's good. And actually we get into a pattern of thinking That says it's always a struggle. I always need help. I always need something. Actually lift your face to God. That's who you need. Look at him because he's got good stuff for you. And he's given you good stuff already. And actually that breaks that pattern of thinking. We too often focus on the bad. But we've got so much good to focus on. We have this... Song of confidence that we can sing, that we can worship God with, that we can praise Him with. Let's do it. Let's worship God with a song of confidence. Don't mean literally because I hadn't asked the band to do anything. So, um, and we're running out of time. But let's not forget God in the good times. Let's worship Him outrageously when things are going well. As you go out this afternoon from here, and the sun's shining. And you think, yeah, life's pretty good. Thank God for it. Worship him for it. And remember that the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. It's undeniable. Remember it. Let it get into you.
1: And worship God for it. I think I'm
0: going to finish there. Yes, please do say something.
2: I, I was sitting there thinking, what stronghold is this coming up against? As Paul was speaking there, what stronghold is this challenging? Uh, I had a bit of a revelation over the summer. I've been reading (laughs) Brene Brown. Anybody? She's just like my hero. And uh, one of the things she said is how we fear celebrating uh, anything because we fear that It might all go wrong, so don't celebrate too much. So she described going in to see her children when they were sleeping and just looking at them and saying, I just want to celebrate the fact that I've got this beautiful child and his life and his breathing and all this. But what about if they get ill? What about if they die? What about if? And I think there is, I, I, I don't know if, Paul was just saying, I've got a good life. This, and immediately you start thinking, yeah, but what about other people? They're struggling. They're and so we are afraid of celebrating the good that's right in front of yeah. us. There's a courage that's needed to say, I'm going to celebrate the good that's right in front of me. I'm going to celebrate what's happening in my life today. I'm going to thank God for that. That's the stronghold there that I'm going to celebrate anyway. Even if everything goes wrong tomorrow, I'm not even going to think about that because I'm living now in, in the, the vulnerability of trusting God in the everyday. And I just feel like God wants to shift something in our thinking so that we can actually celebrate. You know, it says, we started today with talking about rejoicing. Rejoice with those that rejoice. That's the command, rejoice. We mourn also with those that mourn, but we have to rejoice with those that rejoice. We're better at mourning than we are rejoicing, don't you think? That's the stronghold right there. And I feel like God wants to break that stronghold so that we can actually rejoice, Mm. so that we can actually celebrate the good of of what we have and who we are in God. Mm. Do you agree with me? Yes. yes. Shall we just ask God to yeah. break that stronghold? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, can you pray for us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's stand together. Yeah. Oh, you've one. got the mic. I've got one.
1: <laughs> God, thank you that i can stand here definitely
0: and say i thank you that i have a great life unashamedly i can say god you've blessed me and i celebrate <coughs> father i pray for each one of us now just by your spirit holy spirit come come and just touch each one of our hearts and minds and show us what we need to celebrate show us where we're missing it. Show us where we're not seeing it. Show us where there's fear that's holding us back. And change us. Break that stronghold that's on us that doesn't allow us to celebrate for fear of things going wrong. Yeah. Even that, that almost Britishness of, you know, how are you? Well, mustn't grumble. Yeah. Actually, no. How are you? I am a child of God yeah. and I am blessed by him. Can we say that together, all together? I am a child of God and I am blessed by him. And I will celebrate that. Let's celebrate that. Holy Spirit, break off any grumbling, any stronghold of moaning, any stronghold of being grumpy and down. Just break it off us, Lord, where it needs breaking, and set us free to celebrate you. Set us free to celebrate those lines that have fallen for us in pleasant places. Set us free this morning. Let's let's just start to celebrate. Lift your voices and let's start to celebrate the good things that God has done in us. And if, if you can't think of any, celebrate the goodness of God. Celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. Celebrate all those things because they are relevant to you. Let's lift our voices. Let's celebrate